0: One weapon could do the job, a handheld heat-seeking missile called the Stinger. In the mid-1980s, the U.S. began covertly supplying Stingers to the Mujahideen. The balance of power began to shift. For a Stinger, helicopter is just a sitting duck, if it is within the range of the Stinger, then uh, the Stenger operator, I mean, will, uh, will aim it. Uh, aim at a Stenger, then go for a super elevation. Then he will make adjustment uh, according to the movement of the helicopter. Then you, you fire, and you will see a big explosion. Flames and smoke will go up. Hello. Welcome Yo. to another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe. With me is Nick. <laughs> Yo. Uh, so we're on part four Of the Soviet-Afghan war. number four. Uh, Nick, what what do you know about Operation Cyclone? Nothing. Nothing. At all. I've actually heard of it, but I know nothing of it. A lot of people have heard of it, but a lot of people are not quite sure. I'm sure you've heard the story of how the Mujahideen ended up with Stinger anti-aircraft missiles. I'm actually not. So I'd actually love to learn. You're killing me. I kind of figured you'd have heard of that. Um, well, it it's become really, really popular. Uh, they made movies about it. Of course, on the side of the CIA. Um, yeah, our our third co-host because um, our fourth is kind of a fat ass and a dick. Steven Seagal. Yeah, he's not. He is. I would like to point out Steven Seagal is not a co-host. He's holding us hostage. He's sitting here watching us and rubbing his belly button. Ugh. So, we are going to talk about Operation Cyclone on this episode and how it came to be and the truth behind it uh uh the aftermath of Operation Cyclone. So we are going to talk about the Afghan War for obvious reasons. It's series run. Yeah. And we're <laughs> also going so. we're, what it showed up for. We're also going to talk about the the aftermath of CIA meddling in the region. Mm. Fun fact. Not good, Nick. It's not good. Um has the CIA done anything good? I don't know. Yeah. Um so For the last few episodes, we have talked about how the Soviets got bogged down in Afghanistan. Um, The Soviets were not winning, and they certainly they weren't losing. They were just kind of stuck. The Mujahideen, for the most part, were uh, armed with small arms and some landmines. They were very uh, they were largely pretty untrained, pretty raw, and they were learning how to fight through the act of fighting. It was like on the job training. Yeah, Um, that's a terrible OJT. Yeah, uh, just shooting their rifles and then thrown straight into the fire. Hoping for the best. Yeah. Um, It worked, I guess. Uh, So, while it is true, the Soviets began to learn through trial and error how to become better fighters, which we have talked about. Uh, They did not become well-armed, well-trained, empire-destroying rebels without a massive amount of outside help. How massive exactly? Well, the operation to arm and train them would become known as Operation Cyclone, the largest CIA operation of all time. And cost so much money, nobody's entirely (laughs) sure how much. At least the tens of billions. CIA. (laughs) Uh, So the United States had actually been supporting the Mujahideen in Afghanistan since before the Soviets had gotten directly involved, which we kind of talked about a little bit on episode one. Yeah. Uh, That was pretty low-level stuff. Uh, The real heavy lifting was being done by Pakistan. Um, One theory is that the U.S. wanted to topple the communist Afghans because that's just what the U.S. did to small communist countries during the Cold War. Gotta stomp them. I mean, look at Latin America. Look at what we tried in Vietnam. um, Look at all that stuff. But there is a theory that could be even darker than that. There's actually a fair amount of evidence that the U.S. supplied arms to the rebels in order to destabilize the already teetering Afghan government for the sole purpose of sucking the Soviet Union into a war. Mm. Uh, Now, remember, the Soviets and Chinese kind of openly supported North Vietnam, dragging on our war of attrition there. We wanted to return the favor and bleed the Soviets dry. In 1979, the CIA sent several covert action ideas to the Special Coronation Committee, uh, to which Defense Representative Walter Slocum said, quote, There is value in keeping the Afghan resistance going to suck the Soviets into a Vietnamese quagmire. So... I just want to bring up... I imagine they probably brought a chat over there. Or a Chet, maybe. I feel like this, the CIA is stocked full of Chets. Oh, yeah. Just wearing sunglasses indoors. At the tip at of their tongue times. is the state, don't you know who my dad is? Yeah. yeah. That's the whole CIA. Pretty much. And they're just like, all right, checks out bros, punches drywall, comes back. Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> Every time the CIA wants a <laughs> topple regime and the president says <laughs> yeah. no, they punch a hole in the drywall. That's what we'll do. So... Intelligence officer and this is his real name. Yes, yes, I love names. Arnold Horlick Yes said quote covert (laughs) actions could raise costs to the Soviets and inflate Muslim opinion against them in many countries. A substantial covert aid program could raise the stakes and force the Soviets to intervene more directly. Now, there's a good reason for this. The CIA had a fair amount of intelligence to the Soviet army shocking, right? They've been doing this for decades. Yeah, I would imagine they would they have something. They kind of figured that the Soviet army could not conduct this kind of war, but would be forced to do so anyway. So they 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 kind of just wanted to fuck the Soviet Union. Like they didn't think the Soviets would be able to adapt to the to guerrilla war. Like the United States had, now the United States adapted, but we still lost and you know lost tens of thousands of troops and it was yeah. awful and millions of Vietnamese died. But they assumed that the Soviet Union would just fall apart like the Soviet army would not be able to handle this. Um and because of the rigid command structure of the Soviet Union, they knew they wouldn't be able to adapt. So, they wanted to fuck some Soviet soldiers over. I feel like they almost wanted to embarrass the Soviets. De- definitely. They they it was a I mean, the Soviets because definitely meant, embarrassed us. Yeah, the US Vietnam definitely. Was there. And we definitely. wanted to return the favor. Um if that wasn't a big enough clue, U.S. representatives began to fly to Pakistan to meet directly with the leader of the Afghan-Sunni resistance, including our boy, Hek Matar, who Ooh. to this day uh, funds Taliban units. So that's fun. They're not directly involved in the Taliban, but they are directly involved with killing American soldiers and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Afghan soldiers. Now. The resistance against the Soviets encompassed every shade of Afghan society from Sunni to Shia and every ethnicity and political group in between. The U.S., however, would only directly support the Sunnis, who at this time had been receiving aid from Pakistan for years. The Afghan Shia had been receiving a ton of aid from Iran, a country the United States in the late 1970s wanted absolutely nothing to do with. Mm. If you're not sure why, yeah. go back and listen to Iran Iraq series. Not going to go over that again. Just They weren't friends. Yeah. Um. Once the Soviets got involved in 1980, the U.S. immediately spoke out against them to the surprise of nobody. They also began to slap sanctions against the USSR and begin to pour more money in the form of aid into Pakistan, which everybody pretty much accepted was actually aid from the Mujahideen. And it was just going to be siphoned over to them. The U.S. boycotted the 1980s Olympics uh, because there's one thing that stops war. It's dumbass sports games. Definitely. That did a whole fucking lot. U.S. President Jimmy Carter also managed to get an agreement with Saudi Arabia, which promised that for every dollar the U.S. spent on the Mujahideen, the Saudi government would match. This is a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, The plan is pretty simple for the most part. Green moving. Yeah. The U.S. would pour money, guns, and specialists into Pakistan, marked as aid. The aid would then be funneled to the Afghan training camps within Pakistan. By the Pakistani ISI, their version of the CIA, who Travis and I talked a little bit about during our Cargill War episode. So, if you're not super familiar with ISI, go back and listen to that. At first, this amount of money was a paltry half million dollars. Doesn't get you a whole lot, but it gets you something. This would change in 1980 when a Texas congressman named Charlie Goodtime Wilson got involved. There's no way you're from Texas you have a good time. Oh man, Charlie Wilson how to fuck a party uh, He got the nickname for being a notorious drunk Who loved a party dating all the way back To when he was in the Navy He also tried to fuck anything with a pulse Despite the fact he was married And he was rumored to not only have a rotating bed But a hot tub in his bedroom He was the Austin Powers Yeah, he was the Austin Powers of shitty Texas congressman. Yeah. Good time What a fucking asshole It gets worse Oh, cool <laughs> Wilson read some news dispatches about the huge amount of people who had been uh, displaced by war in Afghanistan and ran for shelter on the Pakistan border. That was pretty much all he needed to know when he decided that the U.S. should totally uh, be helping those Mujahideen fellows a little bit more than they already are. He's going to party with them. Well, good news for Wilson and the Afghans. He had just been appointed to the U.S. Appropriations Subcommittee on Defense, which is responsible for funding CIA operations. Why? Congressmen get appointed to those things from time to time. So after a night of heavy drinking, Wilson called up his staff of the Committee of Appropriations—some <laughs> of those drunk calls you make—and requested aid going to the Mujahideen to be doubled. And it was without any other questions being Just asked. No questions asked, like, <laughs> sir, your uh, words are slurring. Congressman Wilson is naked. Yeah, uh, we should probably listen to him. Um, more than that, Wilson wanted to go to Pakistan to visit the goddamn brave fighters himself. He did that too. What? The night before, however, uh, he was due to be getting on a plane going to Pakistan. Wilson got drunker than shit, as he tended to do, and did a whole bunch of coke before running over some guy with his car on the key bridge in Washington, D.C. How'd that go? Uh, He faced no legal repercussions whatsoever, just jumped on a plane and flew to fucking Pakistan. Sounds about right, yeah. (laughs) I feel like he just backed backed up to him, threw some money on him, like, sorry about that. Clean (laughs) yourself up, kid. (laughs) Yeah, threw a towel on him. I want the towel back. (laughs) fucking drove off. Once there, Wilson became fast friends with the military dictator of Pakistan, Zia al-Haq. They bonded over whiskey and prostitutes. (laughs) (laughs) You like getting fucked up and not remembering your day as well? (laughs) Fuck yeah. You like doing lines off hookers' butts? Did we just become best friends? Want to do a line off my butt? (laughs) Hell yeah, dude. Al Haq told Wilson that they definitely needed more money for the glorious freedom fighters of Afghanistan. Ooh, sugar hole snorting. Wilson agreed without hesitation. <laughs> Al Haq's motivation for this was twofold. One, he was legitimately scared that if the Soviets succeed in Afghanistan, they'd come for Pakistan next. Two, Al Haq, the ISI, and everyone in between and in the middle of the Pakistan the government. ISI kind of sounds like a tech group uh it would be actually i would say google but more nefarious but that it was not true at all anymore (laughs) they Uh, sound like a shitty tech group at a mall they're like if google also had people who just shot people instead of selling your information to the cia oh but only shot good people isi sucks i hate them They sound terrible they're somehow worse than the cia in a regional basis they just don't have the power to be as terrible as the cia Shame. Um, so every level of the pakistani government was pilfering funds from the americans uh, that they were sending over for the mujahideen a good. good percentage of weapons being sent over were stolen and sold for profit on the black market the proceeds going directly into the isis pocket <laughs> good time wilson still sending letters to his boy like cia war funding is like a pyramid scheme that your shitty friend from high school tries to sell you every time you go home but instead of like badly made knives it's regime change and like it's the bucket of AK-47s, which on- arguably is better. I guess. Uh, I honestly like watching bad knives, like bad knives advertising commercials. The CIA is the global version of vacuum like salesman. <laughs> Look at this Nighthawk 5000 sliced through this pumpkin. I'm selling you this so. detox, and by detox, I mean we're gonna pump your country full of rifles. No, yours is kind of worse. Yeah. So, if Alhac lobb- lobbying him for more money didn't do the trick, the CIA itself did. Wilson was directly approached by CIA agent Gust Avocados, telling him that the- I like av- avocados. Avocados. He was Greek. Uh, not a, a Mexican fruit? Vegetable? What is an avocado? Av- av- avocado is a fruit, right? Yeah. No. I don't know. Fuck. <laughs> it's a fruit. I'm I don't saying know. It's, I'm saying it's a fruit. Uh, it has a seed in the middle of it. Uh, it's a giant one, yeah. Yeah. So he told Wilson that the Afghans needed $40 more dollars. This directly violated a CIA policy about directly lobbying Congress for money. I'm not sure what part of that is funnier. The fact that the CIA has policies or the fact that that anybody thought CIA agents would follow policies. I think they're both the same. Like, we have policies stopping us from doing evil shit? What are we, the FBI? Yeah. (laughs) All right, so these policies... (laughs) So this, this is like a, this is a coaster, right? No, <laughs> no, sir, that is your HR book about uh, CIA the policies. Yes, the dartboard. It also worked. The dartboard? Before the end of the year, we'll sort of make a further $300 million, uh into the hands of the Afghan Mujahideen. This guy's fucking insane. $17 million of that money was funded directly into a push to get the Stinger anti-aircraft missiles into the hand of the Mujahideen. Eventually, he was set and zoned by Pentagon official Michael Pillsbury, and the pipeline was opened up. <laughs> he was grandfather to the Doughboy. Yes, yeah. yes. Woo-hoo, let's <laughs> yeah, stop communism, every time, kids. Every time they poked him, <laughs> he sir, gave out a stinger. Sir, pl- please stop poking me in the stomach. Just, just do the laugh. <sighs> can we please get to the business at hand? Uh, but it turns out arming a religious rebellion half a world away with cutting edge missile technology was kind of a controversial idea. Really, first was the people who objected to the idea. Pretty much everybody involved thought it was a bad idea. Uh, This included Al Haq, the Reagan administration, and the CIA itself. What? The CIA thought it was a bad idea? Some people thought as soon as stingers were on the ground, it would result in some kind of direct confrontation. Uh, The Soviets definitely knew that the U.S. was supporting the Afghans, but this would stop any idea of it being covert uh they they had this weird idea that the soviets knew that the us was um like directly how like the soviets would just attack the us which is kind of absurd they've been doing this kind of shit for years and yeah. it's never happened um another problem was putting a new weapon into the ha- into the hands of people directly fighting the soviets would mean eventually the soviets would capture one of them this was a concern. It was top secret information. Uh, Milton Bearden, a CIA operator... Why are these names so bad? Because it's the 70s Jesus and 80s. Christ. A CIA officer in Pakistan overseeing the operation was asked to tell the senators on the board that the Soviet Union had actually managed to get their hand on a stinger a few years earlier through a source they had in NATO. It's pretty much accepted that that is a lie. So the CIA lied to Congress to get money for an operation for not the first or the last time not surprising. The CIA was adamant about getting these weapons into the hands of rebels. The main reason for this was because Soviet air attacks on the Pakistani border were making smuggling weapons and trained rebels back into the war zone, a pain in the ass. For every three shipments they would send, two would be destroyed before they could get into the fight. So they were losing a lot of shit. Yeah. over. Not to mention, they were, weapons were important, but they wanted trained rebels back onto they, the battlefield. They lost more than what they can get. Right. Like, so they just cranked open the pipeline and assumed send it some, all <laughs> some would eventually filter through which is it's like it, when you throw a giant pile of popcorn in your face something's gonna get in your mouth yeah other than that you got a giant mess to try to clean up right uh on several occasions the soviet air force just said fuck it and bombed the camps directly inside pakistan uh resulting in several clashes Jesus. between the two sides air yeah. forces i don't think they're allowed to do that yeah they didn't give a fuck yeah Jack Divine, which sounds like a porn star. Yes. Another bad news. Was the man put in charge of actually finding these weapons. He was given a presidential memo and sent off to the military to procure them. The military told Jack Divine. Jack Divine could not have these weapons. Oh no, it's Divine. Because the US military did not even have them itself yet. Divine had to call the White House and have the president intervene personally to get the military to actually give them the missiles. Eventually, 2,500 missile systems and a totally unknown number of missiles found themselves into Afghanistan. In order for this to work, Afghans would have to be trained how to use the weapons correctly. So, Pakistani ISI teams uh, joined forces with the CIA, which is like... That's a bad collab. Yeah, that's literally a supervillain group yeah. uh, uh, to teach them. According to Divine, quote, in September 1986, behind a white sheet Hung up in a classroom in Rawalpindi, Pakistan, non-commissioned officers slowly moved a pen light, whose light source the students would track and eventually, quote-unquote, kill with their stinger training units. Primitive, but it did the job for about a hundred bucks apiece. What? They literally trained these dudes a laser pointer what like they're cats. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Oh, man. More than just flood the country with weapons. They would have to train the Afghans to become formal life infantry force. For that, avocados tapped CIA agent Michael Vickers. Vickers be- began a slow trickle of CIA paramilitary agents into the country to begin to help the Pakistani ISI turn nearly a half million Afghan fighters into a highly mobile Soviet killing machine. Avocados also managed to persuade <laughs> officials from Egypt, China, and Israel to get on in the game. He is also one of the people who convinced the al-Haq to frame the conflict as more than just a regional one. This is not an Afghan war of independence. This is a religious war of Islam versus godless communism. If you could see this ends badly. Yeah. Uh, I see your face. You're starting to see the seeds that I'm planting here. Yeah, they're not. They're kind of big seeds like yeah. avocado seeds. Yeah, I can see them al Haq himself pivoted to be more of an Islamic conservative, using the American president, Ronald Reagan, as an example how to interject religion into politics. CIA money also flowed into madrasas. Uh, are you familiar with what madrasas are? No, I- it's a religious school. Oh, okay. In these schools, Afghan refugee children, along with Pakistani kids, were indoctr- indoctrinated with militant Islamic teachings, with school books paid, by the, paid for by the U.S. government, developed by the University of Nebraska at Omaha, and printed in Houston, Texas. I fucking hate our country. It would be from Texas, too. Good time Wilson over there fucking writing books. Hey, he got jobs for the printing press or whatever. So if you, Fuck you. If you can imagine... What's inside these books? Like, uh, Republic of Texas! I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, that would work if you're trying to secede Texas from the Union. But these are these are handmade for Afghan oh, refugee handmade. kids. So, these it's are overpriced. Books. It's yeah. overpriced Texas shit. So they taught math by showing kids pictures of bullets, <laughs> landmines, and dead, so- dead Soviet soldiers. <laughs> they also filled it to the brim with messages about jihad. To teach kids how to read, it says things like, quote, T is for Topac or gun. How do you use this word? Quote, my uncle has a gun. The entry reads, he does jihad with the gun. Millions of these books were to produce and disseminated for free. And it was from these schools. Good time. Wilson knows that a the party. The Taliban would be formed after hey. a few years when the war ended. Yeah. Dude, I fucking hate our country. These books are still in Afghanistan. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> I hope they're used for like, I don't know,
1: to so, sit on, to I don't like, know.
0: level out a a flimsy table. Nope. They're still taught in madrasas. Oh, being used. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Meanwhile, the Saudis' main push to turn this into a religious battlefield began to work as well. The Saudis would end up spending on $4 billion building a network of training camps along the Pakistani border. So also the the Saudis built pretty much all of the madrasas Um, that would train, indoctrinate, and deploy Muslims from around the world into the Afghan war zone. Spurred on by the Grand Mufti of Saudi Arabia, tens of thousands of foreign Muslims would pour into these camps during the war. If you said you wanted to volunteer, the Saudi government would pay for your air travel lodging and deal with immigration paperwork to Pakistan. Ooh. And they would even include a return flight if you managed to survive. What a deal. The Saudi kingdom literally uh, built an all-inclusive vacation package to a goddamn war zone. That's nice. So if you were to pick one of the people who happened to take one of these flights and make it the worst person ever from Saudi Arabia, who would it be? That's actually kind of hard for me. A young Saudi by the name of Osama bin Laden. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yes. So, Osama bin oh, Laden was uh, a family member. I forgot at, he was from Saudi. Uh, Holy he, shit. He is the son of a of an incredibly rich construction yes. magnate. Um, Who has ties with the Bush family? He, uh, he would not exactly be a rebel leader, as a lot of people like to put him. He was a money guy. Um, Did that get him his power, though? Uh, He definitely laid the groundwork for Al-Qaeda, yeah. Um, Around this, something of a tourist industry was formed. Saudi Arabia, like now, had a huge class of rich oil princes who wanted to show everyone that they were warriors of God, just like everybody else. So they would pay their way into Afghanistan, get a picture of them firing a gun at some faraway target, and get the fuck out of the country before anything could happen to them. (laughs) Like, could you imagine, like, the do it for the gram, and like, an yeah. RPG to Soviet cowboy. <laughs> they, they literally went to war for the clout. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's a great way to put, like, put it. These foreign Muslims would eventually become known as Afghan Arabs. Uh, they were pretty unpopular amongst their Afghanos. Uh... They were driven mostly by the religion, unlike the Afghans who were driven by nationalism. Also driven by the followers they would gain. Yeah, on the 1980s social yes. media. Um, the cork board. Now, it should be known that the vast majority of Afghan rebels were very religious. Afghan society in a whole was very conservative, but they were nationalists. They were fighting to free Afghanistan, and then they would know, fight over what was left of Afghanistan it was all over who would control it. But they... They were nationalists. These Afghan Arabs injected a completely different scene into the already confusing kaleidoscope of rebel groups. They were incredibly hardline Muslims and judged the Afghan versions of Islam to be less pure than their own brand. Um, Like wherever the Afghan Arabs went, they weren't. Huge fans of all the people they had worked Like, there's a reason why, like, all the Al Qaeda camps in, in Afghanistan later on were all foreigners. Like, very few Afghans wanted yeah. to work with Osama bin Laden. And, like, the Taliban, after the 9 11 attacks, the Taliban offered to give Osama bin Laden up to the United States because they didn't fucking like him. Like, well, he's not one of us. He's not a member of the Taliban. Yeah. Uh, and, in, in exchange for recognizing them as the government of Afghanistan. That was it. We said no. <laughs> that's that's not surprising to be yeah. honest, because no. I imagine they probably played the. They didn't want to give up Bin Laden. That's exactly what they did. Exactly. Yeah, and we started bombing them. Yeah. Still, more countries uh, accepted the Taliban as a, the rightful government of Afghanistan than ever recognized the Confederate States of America. So they had that going for them. Yeah. So back uh, back in the 1980s, the importance of these foreign fighters has been massively blown out of proportion over the years. The bulk of them did not arrive until 1986 or later, when the Soviets were already planning on pulling out, meaning they weren't really needed anymore. They'd have a much bigger impact, however, on the Afghan Civil War that would erupt in the 90s, when the when the PDPA finally collapsed. What did have an impact on the war, however, were the Stinger missiles, which were finally hitting the battlefield. In 1986, for the first time in the war... I wonder if they had a hard time at first, like, I don't know if I can do this. It's not a laser pointer. Uh, they had pretty... Roaring success, really? Say. Yeah. Uh, so the training worked. Oh yeah. Uh, so kind of. We'll get to that point. Okay. Uh, so for the first time in 1986, Stinger uh, Stinger missile began uh, began to shoot down Soviet helicopters on September 26, 1986. After a week of traveling, uh, several dozen Afghan rebels with the missiles hunkered down near an airfield used by a Soviet force outside of Jalalabad in northeast Afghanistan. That afternoon, a Soviet air patrol returned to base. Uh, the Afghans hoisted their stingers to their shoulders, switching on the guidance systems and locking onto the heat signatures of the helicopters overhead. The first missile fired by a guy named Gafar, the group's leader, shot out of the launch tube, quote, traveled the prescribed six meters of its launch charge, and then the rocket motor failed to ignite. The missile fell to the ground, clattering among the rocks until the momentum was spent. The Afghans then panicked and kicked the missile off the edge. <laughs> The other two gunners each brought down a Soviet helicopter. However, Gaffar reloaded and fired again, bringing down another. Fuck, three helicopters. Yep. The effect- Out of the four missiles. Yep. It's not bad. Yeah, uh, it's that's that's actually you three for four. For it's actually ninth. so um, there's an expected amount of failure for these things, right? Um, and that is way better uh, than like it, I, I think. So the CIA, going off of mostly first hand accounts, which can be badly inflated to make themselves sound better said that at best the stinger missiles hit their target or at least worked 70% of the time Uh, they expected less than 50% Mm. so it worked 70% of the time it worked every time yeah that's right Uh, the effect on the soviet forces was immediate though it should be pointed out that the rebels had actually had their hands on a few surface to air missiles before then in the form of the soviet sa7 but the SA-7 was, for lack of a better term, a piece of shit. Even when it, when it was used 100% correctly by trained experts, which the rebels absolutely were not, the success rate was only about 3%. That is terrible. <laughs> what was it used for? This surface air missile. At, not at 3%? No. Uh, well, I mean, the Stinger is super hit and miss as well. Um, the Pakistanis also got a huge amount of Stingers because, of course, they did. And they, they once fired 24 missiles at one helicopter, and it did not hit once. So, your results so each may vary. So, system had flaws. Yeah. Okay. So, the Stinger, in its first deployment in combat, anywhere in the world, we should point out, uh, had been more successful than the previous uses of anti-aircraft missiles. So, the Soviets reacted accordingly. First, they grounded all flights in Afghanistan while they figured out what the hell had happened. Once Soviet intelligence discovered that Stinger had made their way to the battlefield, the simple fix was forcing all of their air crews to stay above the Soviet's operational ceiling of 20,000 feet. They also began to outfit helicopters and jets with anti-aircraft countermeasures, something they had completely ignored doing before. I feel like they should have been had that. Also, um... Th- this is a simple fix. It made Soviet air power significantly less effective, though. Um... Stingers became less of a weapon and more of a deterrent. Oh, um, the Stingers okay. often portrayed in media as smacking down Soviet aircraft at such rate the Soviets had to leave Afghanistan. That's just not true. It is estimated out of the four hundred and fifty-one aircraft losses that the Soviets suffered during the war, or at least reported losses, less than half were due to Stingers. What is more important than those losses, though, was the effect and the uh, which was the intended consequences. Soon, weapons and people were flooding over the Pakistani border at levels greater than any time of the war. This included Soviet, uh, sorry, this included Saudi Arabia's Afghan Arab zealots. So, another huge part of this was morale. The Soviets, so before then, the Soviet soldiers on the ground were pretty severely lacking morale. Uh, we've, I think, oh, yeah. I think, we've covered that pretty well. Yeah. But what was not missing was the Soviet air forces' morale. They were pretty much untouchable. The Soviets um, suffered casualties through airframes, obviously, through uh, a lot of it was just Chinese made anti aircraft guns. Um, but the fact remained like pilots and especially the jet pilots um, felt really, really safe. And soldiers felt really, really safe inside the helicopters. That all changed yeah. now. Um, like one pilot talked about, like I had to strip everything out of my helicopter just so I could strip, just so I could fly faster and hopefully outrun these fucking things. Wow, yeah, and like morale just fucking tanked, which is saying something for the Soviet military. Yeah, everything that the Soviet touched in Afghanistan just turned into sadness. Yeah, I mean that's the Soviet, the Soviet Union's history in (laughs) general is not everything's just sad, gray. I mean that's 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 more all I see. It is yeah. That's uh, that eclipses Soviet history and it goes into Imperial Russian history which we'll talk about on a future series and it goes into um, modern day Russia honestly Uh, so a new activity began to form in Afghan Mujahideen circles now they've been armed with this weapon and that was hunting Soviet helicopters oh it was a game I mean think of it this way what's a bigger like if you're going big game hunting this is the biggest fucking game you could get is a helicopter helicopter. Not they could effectively target them. They knew each one that they brought down would be a massive propaganda morale vi- victory for the Mujahideen. Not to mention that would make your particular band of rebels look totally badass. Oh yeah, ours took out three helicopters. They actually bro. do a really good job in the movie *The Beast* about talking about this. Like his cousin, who's a is a Mujahideen leader, like is this taking pictures, hanging out around Can a we fucking. Watch that, please? Oh yeah, uh, he's like taking pictures, hanging around uh, down to. Um, I think it's a hip helicopter, not a hind. And, like, even though he didn't take it down, he's taking credit for it. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, fair game. And this activity, hunting Soviet helicopters with a rocket launcher, was exactly what Charlie Wilson wanted to do in one of his trips back to Afghanistan. What? <laughs> Did he do it? Oh, dude, I hope he's wearing one of those, like, safari fucking hunting outfits. No, he was dressed up like a like a local. Uh, yes, a sitting U.S. congressman, almost a surely drunken high, teamed up with Heck Maytar... Jumped in a truck and drove off in the mountains looking to shoot down at a Soviet helicopter. Please this is something he that gets happened. It. Please tell me he gets it. They did this by dragging a bunch of change through the dirt behind a pickup truck to kick up dust. This tactic had worked before in the past. Soviet helicopters orbiting high overhead would see clouds of dust and think a Mujahideen convoy was tearing through mountain passes. That's really smart. Um, they would swoop down and strike the convoy and um, hopefully get out before they get ambushed with missiles. Unfortunately, for good time, Charlie, no Soviet helicopter showed up that day. So instead, he hung around in the mountains getting fucked up on opium, watching poor Mujahideen drag chains around in circle for his amusement. This guy's... Oh, I fucking hate him so much. Now, one of the reasons people objected this prolif- proliferation of uh, surface-to-air missiles... Yeah, surface-to-air missiles. Fuck. That's, tr- what you, that's what you got. Let me try this again. Now... One of the reasons people objected to this proliferation of surface-to-air missiles was in case they got traded over to militant groups that the U.S. didn't want to support, or worse, enemy nations like Iran. So the CIA put a strict program in place where in order to get more missiles, they would have to turn in their spent missile tubes. How long do you think that system worked? I'd imagine not long. Less than a year. Totally. can see that. Afterwards, the U.S. is seeing that not only were the Soviets beginning to plan to get the fuck out of Afghanistan, they're actually losing the war. They tossed said any idea of keeping track of the Stingers and cranked open the weapons pipeline. One official said, quote, We were handing them out like lollipops. That's not surprising. No. Over the years, the US spent nearly one hundred million dollars trying to get all the Stinger missiles back. Uh, but the program to track and recover them was plagued by failures, miscalculations, and wasted money. Is estimate that the U.S. lost track of around one thousand missiles. Holy shit, and, that's a lot! <laughs> and double that weapon systems. They would eventually end up in the hands of Iran, Qatar, North Korea, and see action in the Tajik civil war after the fall of the Soviet Union. That's a lot of places they didn't give stingers to. <laughs> I don't really know how the fuck would go all the way to North Korea. Yeah, that's my <laughs> that's far as shit. Operation Cyclone does and rightfully should have a problemat- problematic place in history. Almost everyone can get behind a popular resistance movement against an oppressive government, which the PDPA absolutely was, and the Soviet Union was no friend to the Afghan people. Um, but people got behind it a little bit too much. This included having a Rambo movie dedicated to the brave Mujahideen oh. of Afghanistan. It's Rambo 3, by the way. Yep. And glowing articles <coughs> written about them in publications ah. like Reader's Digest. Those are both things that totally happened. Now, The real problem laid in the motivation and means by which the powers that ran Operation Cyclone operated. The CIA and Pakistan framed the conflict as a religious one and the Saudi-funded schools uh, to spread the seeds of militant Islamic fundamentalism. Those two things do not work well together. This effectively weaponized an entire religion in ways that we have not seen since the Crusades. These seeds would eventually bloom into the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and other terrorist groups around the world. Though, it cannot be said that everyone in the region was blind to the dangers of whipping up religious zealots. Benazir Bhutto, who had become Prime Minister of Pakistan in 1988, was slowly become terrified at the growing power and influence of these militant groups as the entire border region fell out of the state of Pakistan's control and more under the control of these groups. During a meeting with George H.W. Bush, who was Vice President at the time, she said that they were creating, quote, a Frankenstein. Oh. In twenty seventeen, Benazir Bhutto was assassinated by Islamic militants connected to the Pakistani Taliban while traveling to meet with who else but the Afghan president what? Hamid Karzai. And that's our episode yeah, that's this the Fuck. Yep. So can you can you at least Okay. Did good Wilson ever get anything? Like What do you mean, get in? He's anything? an asshole. Uh he ended up getting in trouble for a few things. Uh but I mean people generally Remember him as Good Time Charlie, like he was portrayed pretty favorably by fucking Tom Hanks in a movie. Oh, Tom! No, Hanks. oh fuck! And, yeah, I think I know what movie you're talking yeah. about. Yep. I can't think of it, but I know. I think Charlie I Wilson's yes, War. Yes, Charlie Wilson's War. There we go. Where, yeah, it was kind of lighthearted. For it, it, it was all like fun and games. Yeah, what it actually was. Yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly problem. It's a problematic history. I mean, you can be torn on the subject of fighting imperialism, which this absolutely was, and also not being in favor of the CIA plunging an entire region into generations of civil strife, which yeah. they did. It's, I don't know, it, it's hard to place this in history because, like, it's one of the few CIA programs that you could, like, kind of see the point for, but also... It's the CIA, yeah. so they have to do something awful. Nothing ever good comes from whenever we talk about the CIA. Or the ISI, for that matter. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, honestly... Uh, so, so, Nick, how do you feel about being sad? Honestly, the last episode got me more than anything, even though I did have my favorites in that episode. This one? I just wanted to see Good Time Wilson get it, and he never got it. He's just an asshole. Nah, he's... he was def- He definitely never faced repercussions, and you know, Gust avocados ended up getting in a little bit of trouble for something else, but like retired CIA agent, nothing yeah. nothing bad really ever happened to him. Um, really, the only thing bad that happened to anybody were the people in the region. Yeah. I mean, to this day, uh, it's like called the Northwest Frontier Providence in in Pakistan. It's almost completely out of government control and controlled by the Pakistani Taliban. Yeah. Who were directly related from the madrasas that Saudi Arabia built to help us. Yeah. Yeah, embarrass the Soviets. Right. Yep. all this, you know, like the meme is: look, we own the libs. Like that it, in the in the Cold War is like the the SpongeBob and Patrick with the with the city burning down behind. Yeah. Like, yeah, look, Patrick, we own the communists. Yeah, like when you point at the kid that farted in class, we're pointing at the Soviets that farted. It's shit. It's like farting in an elevator and blaming it on somebody else. Yeah, so that. <laughs> it's our episode this week, now that we've uh we've brought the Afghan war into the present day, so how many more parts you- <laughs> a lot uh I would assume at least three more um so as long as nothing worse, wait, it gets worse yes, uh so I knew it I hope everybody kinda liked to see uh, there's there's been multiple shows and, and news segments about how these wars are directly related um, and how it, it carries over to the present day, and it absolutely does. So I wanted to chart that for an episode. This one definitely does. Yeah, and, and I wanted everybody to kind of see how those things are connected. A lot of people were... Uh, I mean, most people were aware of the Stinger missiles. Um, most people were not aware of us literally printing out school books for Madrasas in ah, Texas. that's crazy. And I actually have to thank, um our sometimes... Uh, co-host and friend of the show, Travis, uh, for turning me on to that uh, research material. I had never heard of that before. It, is not, it was not any of the, the primary sources that I used, but I found a Newsweek article from the early 90s really? that charted it. Yeah, uh, Nobody's entirely sure how many books they printed off, but they said it was like tens of thousands. And they did find some. The fact that they're some. still being used is, honestly yeah. reminds me of my school system. <laughs> it was an NPR article from 2004 that said they were still finding those books we're in, still using old books yeah um, so that's our show for this week uh, write and review us on iTunes it's greatly appreciated um, if you think what we do is worth a buck throw us a dollar you'll get one bonus episode a month uh, access to our other shows early if you uh, donate five dollars and higher we'll try to get you a bonus episode per week um, it's honestly the exciting best yeah I can't wait for it yeah. it's gonna be great um, you have to wear shirts Buy one of our shirts. Uh, Some of them are pretty cool. We even still have some used ones ready to go. We do not. We are not selling new shirts. Last episode, we started the uh, ads for it. So uh, right now we're getting our sweat on. Uh, No. Uh, If you want to buy a book, buy one of my books because you still can of support the show. Also, I need to keep my lights on. Um, Citizen of Earth is out. I've heard it's okay. So if you like military sci-fi, go and pick it up. Um, as far as our show goes, we will see you next week as our series continues and, co- and you start to learn how the Soviets decide but to look for an a, exit strategy. It's an endless episode as, as we are in an endless war. Yeah. So the this, this series will chart all the way up to the US invasion in 2001. And that is not true. I would rather die <laughs> than do that. Uh, that sounds awful. Uh, But tune in next week as the Soviets begin to look for a way out. Later.